Hello, and welcome back to Talking Tom. One of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yavamot, daf Samech, page 60. So we move on to another interesting topic here regarding Kohanim. I know we've sort of veered off topic with the Obama, so we're spending a lot of time talking about the Kahuna with the following brisa. Tana Rabbanan, Achoto Arusa. So we're talking about a regular Kohen sister who dies as an Arusa, meaning she dies in the betrothal state, but she has not fully been married by also doing Nisuin. Rabbi Meir or Rabbi Huda Omrim, Mitamela. Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda say that he, the brother, is allowed to become Tame for her. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shimon Omrim, Aim Mitamela. And Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon say he may not become Tame for her. So we know that Kohanim are not allowed to go to a cemetery. They don't become Tame uh, from taking care of or preparing a dead body, except with the exception of the seven relatives for whom one would sit Shiva for, right? A spouse, a child, uh, mother, father, brother, sister. Um, and however, with the sister, though, there is an exception, um, and that if she is a married sister, that would not be the case. And that's actually true as of today as well. If any of our listeners, our co-learners are Kohanim, they can tell us that this is true. So the question here is, if you have a sister who's sort of in this in-between marriage state, right, has started the marriage process but has not completed it, would you be allowed to be, and, and obviously hasn't consummated the sexual relationship with the husband, would that be a sister over which a Kohen could make themselves tame? And so there's a machlokas tanaim about it, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda saying he can, when Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon says he cannot. Brisa goes on with the second case, anusam mifutadzi brehakol ein mitamela. But when you have a sister who, God forbid, was raped or was seduced, everybody would agree that he cannot contaminate herself for her. Um, and the Gemara is going to explain why that is. Then we have a third case. Let's say you have a sister who literally means wounded by wood. But what it means is, is that she's in some sort of accident and her hymen, uh, you know, uh, gets hurt. Um, then also again, so, and again, that would sort of be, you know, the intact hymen is sort of what indicates her virginal status. She would not have that anymore. So again, this would be a sister he would not contaminate, contaminate or be tame for, for himself. I should use the word contaminate, but he, he wouldn't be tame for her. Divrei Rabbi Shimon. That's what Rabbi Shimon says. Shahaya Rabbi Shimon Omer, because Rabbi Shimon used to say, Riyal Kohen Gadol, right? A woman who's fit for marriage for a Kohen Gadol. Mitamela, that's the rule. In other words, as long as that sister could have married the Kohen Gadol, then he's allowed to be Mitame for her. He's allowed to make himself Tame, right? She ain't real Kohen Gadol, but if she would not be fit to marry Kohen Gadol, ain't Mitamela, then he would not be allowed to. And so, according to Rabbi Shimon, the woman in the category of Mukat 8 uh, would not be allowed to. Um, marry the Kohen, would not be allowed to marry a Kohen Gadol. And therefore, that would be a woman that a brother would not be allowed to be tame for uh, in, in case, uh, it, you know, it, when she died. And then finally, they have a last case here, right? Ubogeret mitamela kol adam. But for a sister who is a, uh, who's a bogeret, in other words, she's a young woman, everybody would agree um, that the brother is allowed to be uh, to be Tame for her. So even Rabbi Meir, though, but here's what the Chiddush is here. Even though a Bogaret is sort of that older woman, right, who, according to Rabbi Meir, 
could not marry the Cohen Guzzles. And that's what we learned yesterday's stop because in other words, like her hymen, according to every mayor, may have uh, worn away a little bit just by age. But even so, even according to Rabbi Mayer, Rabbi Mayer would even say, no, even for a Bogaret, he would be allowed to be mitame for her. And then the Gemara is going to go on to sort of explain uh, how this is, right? How did they get this? And uh, so, uh, you know, they, they have a variety of, um, of sukim. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this is just a, um, I'm not going to read through uh, the entire Gemara here, and then they're going to go through sort of trying to explain everybody's opinion and their particular um, midrash halacha of, of how they of how they get to this. Um, but I, you know, Anne, you brought up like a very good question about this as we were prepping this, which is sort of like, why does her sort of, let's say, virginal status have anything to do with what, you know, whether or not he can be mitame her? Like, over her. Like, in other words, once she's dead, she's dead. Um, and it's interesting to see sort of another area in halacha, not just based on marriage, not just based on truma, right? Where we also see that Kohanim have sort of uh, that virginal status actually is very important for halacha. And Anne and I both don't have a good reason for understanding why. Like, with the <laughs> truma, I got it. With whether or not your status was are you considered a co- you know part of like do you have rights or do you have a relationship with a Cohen that entitles you to truma right uh, for the Cohen Gadol, okay I we don't have to like it but there the Torah basically you know says that the woman's virginal status is important in terms of marrying a Cohen Gadol. although we're going to see later on if he was already married to somebody that you know or engaged someone and then becomes a Cohen Gadol, it's fine it doesn't do anything so so. For this, I, I don't totally understand what the connection is. Like, why is her status connected to whether or not he should be, what he should make himself tummy for her? Now, the only thing I can think of is particularly, you know, with the case of the, if she's not married, you know, maybe it's a practical issue, which is then presumably she was still living in her father's home and she just doesn't have anybody to actually do it for her. In other words, the idea of why the Cohen can be, tummy for these relatives is because presumably it's that he's going to take care of some of the burial rights and make sure that this person has a proper burial. If you have a sister who's married, I'm not talking about the, the Mukat AIDS case, but if you have a sister who's married, right, presumably then she has her own family to sort of take care of these things. So that I can sort of buy into. Why the Mukat AIDS? Why somebody who was, God forbid, raped, somebody who was seduced, why they would also fall out of that category. And again, the Gemara goes through the Midrash Halakhad to explain it, then it doesn't fit well with that theory. So I, I'm left puzzled by, the, by this, you know, by this expansion of where they go about how important it is what the sister's, you know, sort of status is in terms of whether or not the brother, the Cohen brother can be Tame for her. Yeah, I would say even if she's married, meaning there's no... I don't, maybe there is somewhere and I just don't recall it or we haven't encountered it yet. Um, or it's something that comes up in halacha that comes after the Gemara, but that wouldn't help this, right? Um, the question of whether somebody, whether a Kohen is Matame for the seven relatives does never, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything that, that you know, de- makes it dependent on whether they're, they have anybody else to take care of them, you know, for, for, burial and so on right it's always like this is 
I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I always understood it to be, you know, these are the close relatives for whom there's a presumed level of sorrow and grief, you know, and so that's why you become a Matami, not because like, what if you have a hundred brothers? They could all bury her, and now, but you have your holy job, and you can't do it. I suppose that makes sense, but I don't recall there ever being a a rationale that the only reason to become tummy for somebody is because of the. I agree with that you. Person. I'm making I'm making a rationale up, and I think, and you're bringing up a more human piece to it. He's not sad about his sister who died, like presumably he's very sad about the sister who died, and think about that. That's sort of those mourning rites are in a way taken away from him because of Mukat 8, it, it, it's bothersome. Um, I don't know. Another I, but troubling, troubling Yvamo stuff. <laughs> right. So anyway. I think it would be bothersome even if we had an understanding of it. My What bothers me even more than whatever, you know, counters my modern sensibilities is the fact that at least at this point, I still do not understand why it is. Like, I, I'm guessing that there's some detail of Kohanim and the way they are exempted and obligated in Avelut that had, you know, in mourning overall, that makes this make sense. But I'm missing a piece, like, and I'm very aware that I'm missing a piece that would ex- that would explain, like, why does why does this, you know, now dead sister's uh, virginity or lack thereof, married or not, why would it have any bearing on whether her brother is going to become a tummy for her, right? Like some of the rationale that I expressed and just in terms of my own rationale about the Kohen Gadol and a woman being, you know, designated for him that he's never the second choice type of thing is irrelevant in the case of his sister because, hello, he's his sister. She was, he was never going to marry her. So I, I don't understand. I, I, I fully don't understand. All right. Now let's move on. <laughs> We're not going to get it. Okay, so we have we have another you know joyous piece here. Um, again, in the this is I think more understandable and less understandable in terms of modern sensibilities. There's a breakdown on a bed. Tanya Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Omer Giorit I'm sorry Puta Mibat We have a convert who is th- three days who is younger than three years and one day old. So this young girl is kosher to marry the kahuna. Um, now, this is an interesting question, right? Like, does it mean that she's getting married at this age or does it mean that she's converted at this young age? And it seems to me that the pshat is that she converted at this young age. So the idea here is that we have a verse in, say for Babidbar, uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 31, that says that all of the female children who have not known man, right, meaning in terms of any sexual intercourse with, you know, this is this is a talking about a time of war, you know, that um, they could be kept alive to marry the Jews. So meaning that's converts, it's not specifically kohadim, except for that what happens is in that story, again, in the book of Numbers, chapter 31, we have Pinchas, who is a Kohen, who is amongst everybody else who takes quote unquote wives, you know, from these females um, who are allowed to marry in to the Jewish people and including the Kahuna, because here we have a nice story from Pinchas. Now, so that to begin with is like an interesting way of determining Pesach. Okay, fine. Um, We could raise a whole lot of questions here, right? Like, again, is she really getting married at this very young age? 
Um, I have a few other questions, namely as follows. We assume that one can only convert once they are old enough to have their own obligation to mitzvot, so that even somebody who is brought into Judaism, let's say, by their family's decision, right? Somebody who is converted at the age of, let's say, two and a half, just for the sake of it, right? Still has to, you know, grow up and decide to convert on her own, of her own accord, or his own accord for that matter, right? Because, because otherwise the Kabbalat the acceptance of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven is like, it's not able to be done by someone who's too young to have, I don't know what we're going to call it, cognition, right? Like a certain level of cognition of responsibility that you can't take such a thing on until you're old enough to do so. So this convert, quote unquote, at this young age is presumably going to have to convert again, you know, do her own Kablat her own acceptance of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven when she's old enough. Now, in terms of keeping, you know, making sure that she's pristine enough for the kahuna, that might be enough, right? Like, so she might not be sufficiently Jewish yet to for it to last into her adulthood, but because she has signed on for Judaism in whatever matter this counts, right, then she's being kept apart from whoever was going to violate her. Um, and I, I don't know, even know if that necessarily for the kahuna, that doesn't have to necessarily mean rape, right? It could mean any kind of intercourse with, again, this child who's too young for intercourse anyway. So, so a lot of questions. And then, of course, the next thing is, you know, let's say we're going to talk about marriage. Well, and we're going to see this in the Mishnah tomorrow, but this question of, you know, how is it that she can marry? How is it that she can marry when she isn't old enough to have that? She doesn't able to have her own level of responsibility. Again, some level of cognition. It doesn't mean can you do math, right? Like you could have a math super genius at the age of five or whatever. But in terms of halacha, you have to be able to take responsibility for something. And that requires simply, you know, a certain level of maturity, which whether it even comes at the age of bat mitzvah is unclear, but it's certainly not coming long beforehand. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I, some of this is going to get answered on tomorrow's DAP. So tomorrow's DAP is going to have a series of four Mishnayos, which I think is going to sort of bring together in a much more practical way a lot of what we've been discussing. What sort of was more, and we, we said this, sort of theoretical discussion, how does all this work with the Cohen and the virginal status and the very disturbing discussion, you know, about this age limit of three, we're going to have a series of Mishnayos tomorrow. It's going to be like, oh, this is how it actually worked. I think what we were talking about before, which is very theoretical, not pleasant theory, but was really theoretical. I, I think that there's something to be said for that. I think that this business of, you know, exploring the parameters as far as they go, and there's certain like, you know, minimum ages in place and certain requirements for the kuna in place. I think that this is, you know, perhaps literally needing to say, you know, let's take it to the extreme, not to be extreme about it, but to say, you know, this is the rule and the practicality of it, I think, is, it, you know, it, it kind of doesn't work. Or if it works, then a whole another big chunk of information is missing. Because, again, a convert at that age and a marriage at that age, like it doesn't it doesn't work. You have to have the ability to accept the marriage or to accept, for that matter, Judaism. Um, I do want to just mention one other thing on Abbebet. Um before we jump off, because I think that it's, I think that it's kind of one of these like, you know, magical pieces that we should make mention of. Um, 
there's a discussion here of you know exactly what happened with this this discussion of Sefer Bamidbar. You know, how did they know? Who about these girls, right? Mani ade, Amar of Huna, Barbizna, Amar Rebbe Shimon, Chasida, Haivu, I'm sorry, Haivirub, Lifne Hatzitz. They would pass the girls, right? They wanted to know are you three years old? Are you not three years old? Are you fit for intercourse? You're not fit for intercourse, whatever that means, right? And there's more discussion on this stuff, exactly what that means. Um, so they would pass the girls in front of the, the seats is the front plate of the Kohen Gadol, and it would, you know, you know, light up basically, right? So of the for these um they would pass before the 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 seats for the Kohen Gadol and the face their face would miraculously you know turn and then it's not really clear to me uh what this means right because it says this term morikot is not exactly I don't know what this translation is like I've seen it to mean sallow I've seen it to mean light up it, I don't know do you have a better insight into this here Dana. No, I, I I think that's like it's like something lit up basically. I think you're right about that. Right, meaning like basically it says like here's a girl who is you know okay to come into Kahal Hashem. That's the bottom line, right? And that she's she's fit for intercourse. Is you know in this case it's going to be a good thing. Um, and then the goes on. So Rav Nachman says that this is an indication that there is some kind of like, you know, um, sexual. Oh, maybe it's, maybe I've said it backwards. Maybe I've said it backwards. I'm sorry. But Rav Nachman says that the the hydrocon that anybody who has this um, her face changes in this way um, is going to be a sign of violation or sexual immorality, um, and this is some kind of disease that would make her face change and. The the term hydrocon seems to be from Greek, and it seems to be an illness, um, and it seems to include some kind of dysfunction of the liver. So maybe that's why that Rav Nachman's position here seems to be why there's a translation of morikot as sallow, as being some kind of yellow, whatever. And what it means then is not that it's a good thing, and I, I apologize for my misspeaking before, um, but that she is you know, that she has already um, been fit for intercourse despite her age, whatever her age might be, and she's not going to be coming into Kahal Hashem, but the ones whose faces did not have this mori coat from the teats, they then could. Um, it, it's, again, like a, this idea, and they've and there's several different examples on the daf of where they use the teats as this, like, truth test, I would say. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen this before. I think, wasn't there a lot of this in Brachos, the whole thing with the seats? It could well be. Brachos was a long time ago. <laughs> I know. I can't remember. Maybe somebody will remember. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. Tomorrow, go and learn.